Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. You can have a seat, everyone. We're, uh, we're really grateful for uh, the ways you've been singing, and, uh, and, and we're just always so grateful that many of you are here, and especially if you're here for the first time. Like, just a special welcome uh, to you. Let me move back here before I kill myself off the stage. Uh, it's, it's so nice to see many of you, and I've already had a chance to meet a few of you, and I want to say again, like, as the team has shared, it's really, really encouraging to see some of you maybe here coming for the first time or inviting someone. And if you're watching online, you know, I got a note last week from somebody who was watching a few weeks ago, watching from somewhere sunny and hot, some beach. And I was like, you know, I had that envy. I'm like, don't come back to our church. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We love you if you're watching online from wherever you're watching from. It's just such a, a gift to use technology in this way. And uh, we, we've actually been in a series, and some of you know this, we've been in a series talking about a very difficult topic that often keeps people away from saying yes to God. Many people I know, many people you know, maybe this was your own experience. There's something about suffering that makes it hard for us to understand that God might be good or that God might be present or that God really loves us when we're experiencing suffering and pain. And so we thought, let's just take some time. We've spent a few weeks already kind of to talk about suffering and to think about it in, in a more biblical way and also to understand something about the story of Jesus that as He moves towards the cross... He will tell his followers that he himself will experience much suffering. And they're all really confused about that. And so if you're confused about this or you have questions about suffering, you came on a good morning. Or if you've missed this morning, you can watch us online and you can, you know, continue in this series and kind of learn with us. But I want to begin this morning by asking you a question to maybe make you think about something we don't always think about, maybe in church suffering, you want positive and you want to feel God's grace. But I want you to think about what you would do if you found out today okay, that you had a week left to live, what would you do? You have one week left. You get a report from the doctor or you're, you know, just go along with it. Somebody gives you an update. You got one week to live. What would you do? Some celebrate. For some people, yeah. Make some calls. Some people make some phone calls to people we love. For some, begin to doubt Why me? Isn't there someone older that can die before me? Anyone ever do that? Someone else is worse off. They're not me. Think about this, right? It's hard for us to think about that. And actually, we spend our whole life not talking about death or suffering and staying away from all of it. And actually, we live in a world addicted to just positive things all the time that when we have to learn to think about our limitations and our frailty and our limits, we don't really know what to do. The reason I ask you this question is because there's someone in the Bible that we're told is given an update about their life, and he's basically given not a date or a time, but that his life is coming soon to an end, and he's a king, and his name is King Hezekiah, and this is what we're told. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at point of death, and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says, put your house in order because you are going to die you will not recover. Matt, you're like, wow. There's this moment in the story of the, the people of God where Isaiah, this prophet that we've been following, helps us to see at times when God is stirring in his people an awareness that suffering is about to do something in them that they would avoid, that we would avoid, all of us. Suffering has this ability to bring clarity to the things that matter when we would avoid those things. If we all knew today that we had one week to live, one day to live, even a month to live, your life would get clarified so fast. So many things you thought were important would be become so less important really, really fast. Suffering can clarify certain things about who we are and what God's trying to do in our life. 
And it's really, really sad that we need suffering to do that rather than being people who let God clarify things now. What matters now rather than waiting till when you get bad news? This King Hezekiah gets an update from a prophet and his name is Isaiah. And if you've been with us, you know that we've looked at the topic of suffering by kind of looking at important moments in the writings of a prophet named Isaiah. Isaiah is this beautiful book of different stories, and, and it, you might remember this. Isaiah is writing over a period of about 60 to 70 years' time, so there's a lot in there. I mean, like, it's like basically our whole lifetime for some people, right? Like, it's just Isaiah is writing at moments, and one of the things as he's writing, he's writing through the lives of kings as well. And Hezekiah is a king now that gets an update about his health from the prophet Isaiah. Before I tell you what Hezekiah does and what's going to happen to him, I want to tell you another thing about Isaiah that in his letter, if you've been reading it, he gives us these beautiful images of what it looks like when God comes to begin to stir us to trust Him even in our suffering. One of the most beautiful images that I love in the prophet Isaiah is this image of a a potter and clay. He actually shares this image in Isaiah 64. Some of you maybe heard this. It's like sometimes people have like frames of this stuff or in a card or something. It's the idea that God takes something that's formless and he, as the potter, begins to shape in us new things that weren't there or remove certain things that shouldn't be there. And he forms us. And I know a lot of people who love this this image that Isaiah gives us. It's always helped me in my life because I grew up, I think, learning about God and thinking that God exists to fix the problems in my life. You ever find this happens to you? Like many people, even when they learn about God right away, they're like, well, I'll believe in God if he fixes my marriage. Well, I'll believe in God if he fixes my kids. Well, I'll really believe in God if he fixes our finances. Anyone, amen? Amen in the room? No, okay, right. There's all these things like God becomes someone we worship if he fixes things, but the Bible tells us that God actually does something deeper in us. He doesn't just come to fix our lives, he comes to form our lives into new people who understand his love, his grace, his forgiveness, and even his loving correction in our lives. And Isaiah gives us this beautiful picture of a potter who forms this pottery, this clay, out of this formlessness. You know, there's something about suffering that makes our our lives feel like they're out of control and formless, where we don't know if it's God, if it's the world, if it's us, is it sin, is it the government, is it suffering makes us either God should fix it or we look for people to blame. It's my ex-husband's fault. It's my, ki- it's my stepdaughter's fault. It's the government. No one does that here, but most people complain about the government. We don't complain about the government. Monsieur Legault, you're welcome anytime. All right. <laughs> I just want to remind everybody's welcome here. <laughs> no complaining at this church. So I think we have this idea that there's suffering, there's problems. Like, whose fault is it? And Isaiah says, there's something about my people that I want to bring to your attention, to our attention, about when He comes to form things in us. And maybe some of you need to hear this, and if you're in our home groups, you're going to feel this this week, and the questions is that God forms things that are broken and seem meaningless and seem messy and seem painful into this new pottery because pottery is expected to be used. Pottery is expected to be used to carry and hold new things. And Isaiah gives us this beautiful picture of this image of what God is doing. And some people welcome the forming. Some people are open to to God changing them. You know, we sang this beautiful line in the song. I love it, that it's really God's grace that makes us open to being transformed. If you've never heard that idea, I just want to remind you that. That we're a church that believes that we don't change because we're shamed into changing. We don't change because somebody yelled at us. We don't change. I mean, we might modify something in our lives, but true transformation happens because of God's grace and love in us that leads us to want to change. We just, we just have this desire to be like, I love God and He loves me and I want to be formed now in this new way. If you've ever met somebody, if you've ever been in a serious relationship, you know this. You know, when I was younger, there's things I was set on and I was never going to change and I had my ways, I had my ways, and then I met my wife. And I fell in love. And I thought, nobody had to tell me to change. The things my parents yelled about, the thing, she would say something and I'm like, babe, if that makes you happy, I guess I'll do it. I love you. It's going to be great. I hate flowers, everything about flowers. Flowers, I have this thing with my wife with flowers. I'm like, they smell like a funeral home. I'm like, I can't handle flowers. 
I'm like, everything is dying. But every so often, if I bring her flowers, she smiles. I'm like, babe, I love you. I'm buying you flowers. How much do they cost? $700, but it doesn't matter. I love you. It's just so deep. It's, it's a funny thing, but there's something about love that stirs you to just, like, I got to change. I don't even know. And the spiritual life, that's how grace works. There's this love that awakens you. It's not a love that just fixes your problems. It's a love that begins to form you and awaken in you that God has loved you even when you did not know how to love Him. And you begin to feel that. And we're told that in the story of the people of God, there's certain kings whose responsibility was to remind the people of this, and yet they do not. Some of them are disobedient, and they're popular, and they're powerful, and they're, they have prosperity, and they're like, you know, God's important, you know, worship Him if you want. And they actually make it harder for people to worship God. And Hezekiah actually, in this story, in the story of Isaiah, if you read about Hezekiah, a lot of his life as a king has been like really, really good. He's done some good things as a king. If you haven't been with us, I just want to show you on an image. You're going to see like four different kings that the people of God in Isaiah writes during their lifetime. This is important. If you're taking notes, if you want to remember, like you can take a picture of this to remember the kings because Isaiah talks about these different kings. And we're kind of the, the last one as we find out that Hezekiah has got to get his life in order. Things are about to be done for him. And you can't kind of miss the fact that this news is coming to a powerful king. Kings are used to having nobody tell them what to do. Powerful people don't get told what to do. Powerful people tell others what to do. And Isaiah has to come and share with the king that God has revealed to him that his days are numbered now. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Being a prophet was not an easy job in the Bible. Everybody wants to be like prophetic gifts. You know, I see people like I've been to churches. They, people call themselves prophets. I'm like, it, it's not that, that fancy. People would try to not be a prophet if they could. But in our culture, we can use these words and make them lose their biblical meaning. That for Isaiah to be a prophet was to go and say certain things in certain contexts where nobody would want to hear those things. I don't know about you, but if I was the king, I'd be like, Isaiah, did you say this to anyone else? No, huh? All right, if you go in that room over there, we're going to serve you some coffee, some munchkins, and you just might disappear. <laughs> Think about the power of a king to be like Isaiah. Nobody cares what you have to say. Nobody cares about God. Like, what if you're wrong? We really know? In my life, I've noticed a pattern that maybe you've noticed in your life. That I have ways of avoiding when God leads people into my life to share with me things I don't want to hear. Do you ever do this? People say something to you and you just kind of ignore them and you'll just say certain things. And then what's really, really good is you start gossiping about those people which confirms what they were saying to begin with, right? In church, it's very easy as well. In church, I've seen this, maybe you've seen this in your own life, where someone maybe says something to you or there's a conversation where you know you need to grow and get honest about something in your life or in your marriage, and instead of doing that, you're like, oh, the Lord is calling us to a different church. I feel the leading to go to a different kind of church, one that's about love. And we can forget that the Bible's way of talking about love sometimes is this corrective wisdom that we see in Isaiah. In your life, is there things maybe even now that God has been trying to kind of bring to your attention and to say this here, if you don't deal with it, it will lead to a certain kind of death. It will lead to a certain hardness of heart where you will not be joyful anymore when you hear about my ways. You will not be someone who is generous when you think of participating in what I'm doing in the world. You will not. And are you someone who's maybe, maybe gotten so comfortable? Like we see of people in the, the book of Isaiah, these kings, we're like, you know, it's, this is not for me, this is for someone else. I know somebody who's way worse than me. Way worse than me, let me tell you. So do I. But King Hezekiah hears the words of Isaiah, and he does something important. If you read this story in the Bible, I encourage you to read Isaiah. If you're, again, if you're in our home groups, you're going through this in more detail. It's beautiful. King Hezekiah prays. He prays and he asks God to just heal him. And he realizes that this prophet Isaiah, as much as other kings had not listened to him, he does listen in this moment. And this is what we're told. It's pretty beautiful. It says this. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. 
Go and tell Hezekiah, I have heard your prayer and have seen your tears. Kings crying, rare. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and the city from the hand of the king of Assyria. Wow. That's some good news, friends. I, like, I have a lot of questions because I've prayed and this doesn't happen sometimes. Right? And Isaiah is a prophet, and so this is a really important time in his own ministry because usually when a prophet says something, it happens. For Isaiah to say something that's not going to happen reveals a God who's listening and open and listening to his people's prayers. And if you want to read theological books about God changing his mind and God saying one thing and then doing another thing, oh, Isaiah is full of that stuff. It's fun stuff. Come to one of our Bible studies. We have fun with that stuff. But there's this moment where the king, in his prayer time and in his crying, and he calls on God, and we're introduced to something really important, that not only does God heal the king, say that the king is not going to die, he also, through the prophet Isaiah, says, you, the king, you will see what it's like for God to be the one who saves this city that's feeling the pressures of all the other nations around them. This is kind of hard for us to understand because we live in a different kind of political time, although we feel the challenges. But imagine that if every day we woke up and there were other nations who were just at the border waiting to come and, you know, take over land or take over your garden. I mean, I can't handle when my neighbor, like, cuts the grass a little bit too close to my house, right? There's some summer vibes for you, okay? So, uh, you know, I, I can't even handle that because there's all these boundary and markers. But in the Bible times, there were moments of warfare and moments where countries would come and nations would start to come and the kings of Israel developed these allegiances with these different kings, different rulers. And while they developed these allegiances, they always had to remember that in these allegiances, maybe their hearts and their people would be moved to start to worship the gods of these other nations. And Isaiah's writing about this. He's saying, listen, I know you're afraid and I know you feel like suffering that might be coming on and I know you, you're afraid of losing your land or your identity. I know that but you're going to have to trust God, that your God is with you even in those moments. And so we see these tensions, and I want to just give you like a snapshot. Maybe some of you are, are like visual learners, and I know most of you would probably hate geography. How many of you hate geography? Most people hate geography. Like my kids are like, I hate geography. People who love geography is people who are lost. You hate geography until you're lost, and you're like, okay, where do we go? Where do we go? Get Google Maps. Okay, so... So this is important. <laughs> That's how I get my kids to study a bit more. But, but I want to show you a map so that you understand the people of God. At this point in Israel, the people of God are experiencing this tension. You can go to just the image of, of two different regions. Hezekiah is the king in the lower, the lower, the blue region, and it's called the region of Judah. And there's other kings in the north region, which is called the, the region of Israel or the northern kingdom. If you read Isaiah and you don't know this, you'll kind of feel lost. That's why it's so important to learn with us in church. That's why it's so important for us to be growing and learning together. And especially if you're not in a home group yet, like next season, to just be in a group, to be like, I'm learning and I'm reading the Bible. I love the pottery stuff, but this is another level, right? It's just a bit deeper. And one of the things I did on this slide, just so you can see, is that there's two nations that are always on the radar for the people of God. One is the Assyrian nation, and the other ones that are always brewing in the south called the Babylonians. And these are these powerful nations that are getting stronger, and the people of God are feeling the pressure of things falling apart at different times. Hezekiah knows that the Assyrians in the north have already come to destroy the people of God in the north. And there's a sense that he's going to have to make an allegiance or figure out a way of how to get, you know, everything in order, whether it's military or people or finances or negotiations in track so that they don't really die. I mean, if the king lets the people die. What kind of king is that? But God gave the kings not just military, not just horses, not just like, you know, ideas for land, but he gave the king a prophet. And the prophet was always there as the voice of God reminding the king when they lost their ways. And Hezekiah has responded by praying and being told that for the next 15 years, he will continue to see his his reign unfold, but things will not stay just all good for Hezekiah. Before I tell you what Hezekiah does, let me just tell you something about Hezekiah as he prays for God to respond to his illness. And this is a prayer of praise that Hezekiah shares in the book of Isaiah. This is what we're told. Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered. Remember, this is a king Hezekiah speaking. Such anguish. In your love you kept me. You have put all my sins behind your back. 
The living, the living, they praise you as I am doing today. Parents, tell their children about your faithfulness. If you read Isaiah 38, you have the section of the king's prayer and praise and excitement about the fact that he's living more years. Well, just think about you. If you knew that you were going to die in a month, and then you got news that you were living longer, I'd be doing like a party maybe. I'd be inviting people. I've been a pastor long enough to be with people who are getting bad news at the hospital, and then they get some good news that things have improved, or that the right medication has worked, or that in a mysterious way, God's prayers have have led them to starting to be better. And I've never met anyone who's experienced that, who said, let's just keep it to ourselves. Let's not tell anyone. No, it's, it's automatic that you're excited and you're reflecting and you're thinking about how good God is or whether maybe it was God and maybe He's calling you to use those extra years or months to glorify Him. Hezekiah has these moments where he does this and he's been doing this throughout his life as a king and Isaiah is aware of this. And I just want to highlight how important this is, that Hezekiah knows something that we often forget that the reason that the people of God are struggling in the season that they're in is that throughout their life, they've decided the sinful ways of their world rather the ways of God. They've decided to make allegiances with certain people or to worship certain gods or to put their trust in other things rather than their God. And sometimes the kings have helped with that. This is such a great lesson for us to think about that people in our lives, the people we spend the most time with, the the things that we watch, the things that we listen to do. Think about all the the videos you're watching on, on your phone. All those things will either move you closer to God's love or will move you away from God's love. You choose. There's no way that you can watch hours and hours of all these theories about politics and the government and this and that and wake up one morning and feel the joy of the Lord. Like, it just won't happen. You don't even have to pray about it. Because God doesn't just fix the world. He forms people in a new way to want His ways in our lives. King Hezekiah had had learned what it meant to know God's ways. When you read this prayer, you're like, this is some good theology here. It's good theology that God has taken their sins and He's moving them away and He's starting to set them free. And also this beautiful reminder that parents... Parents, you need to tell your children about the faithfulness of God. I don't often stop to talk to parents, but just a reminder that there is no other relationship that has such much, so much influence in the life of our kids when they're young. That's why we take it so seriously as a church. When I was studying this week and I was praying about just what to share and how God might be stirring us to, to care and to pray about the next generation in new ways, I thought about my own life. I thought about growing in a home where I didn't often see people celebrating God's goodness. I didn't grow up in a home where people were like, hey, let's go to church. Actually, going to church and starting to follow God was a very difficult thing when I was young. Actually, there was mockery and jokes, and it's like, I can't believe you go to church. And even now, it's like, weak people, they need religion. You know, people have all kinds of things they say. But I want to tell you something important that's really, really foundational to the Christian story. That what we prioritize in our lives and in our homes will soon decide what we idolize in our life. Just remember that. If you remember nothing else, remember that. Whatever you prioritize, it will soon plant the seeds in your home and in the lives of your children to figure out what they're going to give their lives and their hearts to. And no one else can fix that. I grew up in a home that money, success, a good education, getting married, finding the right person, all those things were prioritized above the things of God. Now, don't get me wrong. None of those things are bad things. All those things I mentioned can be good things. If you've ever read your Bible, you know the beauty of being in a relationship that's a a loving, healthy relationship. You know the beauty of God's blessing so that your finances are healthy and you can be generous with God's goodness to you. All those things are good things. But in my home, those things were the only things. They became all we talked about, whatever we debated, whatever was important. And I remember feeling this tension the day I sensed God saying to me, hey, 
God's voice wasn't like, hey, but, but there was, some of you are like, God speaks like that? No, this is speak English. Okay, speaks French. Okay, so, some of you just woke up. Okay, whatever. I remember this sense of God stirring me that I might be a leader in a church, like a pastor. I didn't even know what a pastor was. I was like, whatever, right? And feeling like the weight of all the expectations in my home that I might not ever be able to live up to. Like, do pastors make a lot of money? I'll I'll never forget the burden of thinking, if I'm a leader in the church, will anybody want to marry me? Have you ever met church leaders? Forget that. What is that, pastor? What is that? You're a priest? What is that? My wife is still like that, by the way. If you met her, what is that? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Hon, I love you if you watch later. Okay, there's these moments where whatever was prioritized in my home, and I didn't even realize it, became kind of these quiet idols. They hook themselves into how we think, how we live, how we make decisions. Hezekiah knows. And this prayer, as he's praising, he's like, parents, listen, we got to get back to the basics. we got to talk about the faithfulness of our God. We have to talk about Him. Because if we don't, maybe God is trying to teach us that the death, which is symbolic of His own death, that now has been delayed, the death that's coming is maybe worse than we think. Hezekiah struggled with taking these sin principles seriously. And in this prayer, what we read, and if you're taking notes, you might want to remember this, is Hezekiah said all the right things about God. He has all the right theology about what needs to happen, but he's not always going to be the kind of king that's going to model that for the people and what comes next. I mean, I've, I felt this temptation in my life. Oh, I can answer a theology question. But to have to live out of the truth of that is a whole different ballgame. And I think early on, I think as I was learning to be a Christian and follow God and think about suffering and sin and all of these things, I found it so much easier to blame others instead of saying, God, are there things that you're forming in me that you're trying to get my attention? And are painful seasons in my life maybe a time where you're just clarifying certain things? You're just clarifying for me that my heart is not really yours. You're clarifying for me that I haven't prioritized you at all. Now, if I'm in trouble, I'm praying right away. I'm at the front, let me tell you. I was at the rally. But after that, I was like, whatever, who cares? I'm tired now. It's, it's, it's snowing. It's, did you see the snow? You can't go to church when it's snowing. It's crazy. Years ago, I saw a movie, and I kept thinking about if there's a, a way to explain this complex, messy, painful idea of sin that the people of God are feeling in the Bible. Is there a way to explain it? Is there a way to explain that this is not just a little mistake? It's not just I I dropped the ball or I was disobedient, but it's a way that leaks and other generations pay and the kings are feeling this. And Isaiah is always like, hey, kings, I don't want to have to tell you this because I don't want to die, but it doesn't look good for us, even though Hezekiah has got 15 years extra. And I thought of a movie that helps us kind of maybe with this idea, and it's from this famous pastor called Pastor Paddington. Have you ever heard of Paddington? He's a bear. Some of you, some of you are like, see a pastor. I, I often watch this movie with my kids, and I've often watched it. And I'm like, that's a great like principle there. That's a great point that that maybe we can use it. And years ago, I watched one a movie, and it captured for me the power of what sin does in our lives when we minimize it as something that's not important. It's not a big deal. You know, God has forgiven our sins. Like it's fine. Let's move along. Move along. And so we just have a clip that I'll show you maybe the power of a small thing that's able to destroy everything. Take a look at this.
if, you, if you're ever trying to explain the mystery of what sin is like, it's like that red sock. And he has this great line, like, what could really happen? It's just one red sock in, like, the whole laundry. What could happen when one little thing that's left unattended? With one little God of another nation? With just, like, one commitment to something else? Like, God, like God loves us. It won't matter. Throughout the book of Isaiah, this was the approach of many of the kings of Israel. This was the approach of many of the leaders who minimized the way sin would come and make them just unaware of God's presence, unaware of His faithfulness. And Hezekiah in this moment in the story where Isaiah is coming back to it, even says the right things. He has knowledge of God. He knows how to tell the people to tell their kids and that other kids should know. But now he has to live that. And he doesn't do Because we're told that as Hezekiah gets better, something fascinating happens. If if you remember your geography from your map, do you remember your map? How many of you? Map people? What's the top nation called? What's the bottom nation called? The Babylons. The Babylonians, they hear that Hezekiah, who was sick and ill, is getting better. So they, in a clever way, decide, we're going to send some gifts to King Hezekiah. Wouldn't this be a good negotiation, a good relationship? And this is what we're told. It's profound. You can go to that slide. At that time, Marduk, the king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift. I take those. Because he had heard of his illness and recovery. Hezekiah received the envoys gladly and showed them what was in his storehouses. Remember, these are the things of the people of God. There was nothing in his palace or in all of his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, what did those men say? It's this profound moment that the last time Isaiah came, there was a sense of like, God is restoring you. Remember, turn your heart to the things of God. And in this moment, King Hezekiah, instead of returning the people to their faithfulness to God, instead of turning the people's attention to God and the things that he was going to do, he kind of goes back to his old ways of negotiations with the other nations. And he receives those gifts, and Isaiah will have a prophecy that is worse than hearing that you are going to die. He tells the king that just like those people came to bring their gifts and just like they came to see everything that was the the property of the people of God, you will be a king who sees when the Babylonians come and take everything that they just saw for themselves. This profound moment of joy and hope and a chance for repentance turns quickly to a moment of like reconnecting with the old ways. You know, the greatest king of Israel, his name is Solomon had this great phrase for capturing this idea. This is what he says. You'll see it on the screen. He says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Between me and you, I'm all for the pottery image. Like, let's go back to that. Loving God, making pottery. The kings are a warning to us that as we let sin and things in our lives that distract us from the things of God, as they take root in us, they lead to a particular kind of suffering. And it's a particular kind of suffering in the Bible that is not just for the king. It's for the people and the nation as a whole for years. What a great gift to us that the Bible highlights this for us so that we would learn and that we would ask God to help us pay attention to the times in our lives where we have all the knowledge of God, we have have all the answers about God, but we're not those who've committed to surrender to His ways and to live differently, to trust in His faithfulness, to trust in His grace, to trust in His goodness for us. I'm going to invite the band to come up and and just sing that song that we just sang. We, We sang a song about the King of Kings and who the real King is. As the band comes up, I just want to highlight something important. Remember the beginning of the sermon? I asked you to remember the names of those four kings. Very important. If you have a good memory, maybe you you memorized them. Maybe you took a picture. Maybe you're reading Isaiah and you remember seeing the names of those kings. The next time we will see the names of those kings in the Bible is when Matthew tells us the good news of Jesus of Nazareth. We're told In the beginning of the story of Jesus, when Jesus is about to come, according to Matthew, we're told this, 
This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. At the time of the exile to Babylon. Everybody who read about the beginning of the story of Jesus would have known what this means. Kind of weird that God would introduce the good news of Jesus by telling us about the bad news of bad kings, of failed kings who missed the opportunity to help the people of God be the people of God. Matthew will say, you know about kings who've made these mistakes, but you're about to meet a king who does not make those kinds of mistakes. You're about to see what it's like when the real king of Israel comes, when he comes in obedience and love and mercy He comes to remind you that the failures of those who've come before you are not the way you must define your life. That is good news for us today. It is good news that the mistakes that you've made in your life are not the only things that God looks at. He does look at those things. He looks at them because he invites us to forgiveness. But at the same time, he looks at Jesus and what he's done that makes forgiveness possible. He holds that together and Matthew knows this. If I were telling you my story of how my life happened, I would tell you just the good things. Trust me, it sells on Instagram. Gets a lot of likes. Not Jesus. Not Matthew saying, when Jesus comes, let's not candy coat the mess that you are in. Let's not candy coat that mess. Let's not candy coat that the kings that you wanted, those who came hundreds of years before Jesus, they all failed you. Is the suffering enough to clarify what you need? Is that suffering enough? Because one is coming now, and he's a different kind of king. He's a king, all right, but he rides a donkey, not a horse. He doesn't need a sword. He has a cross. And when he comes, he will forgive you of all of your sins. It makes sense that John the Baptist will begin by telling us about Jesus, by telling us, repent. The kingdom of God is here. Makes sense when you understand Isaiah and Hezekiah and the kings. It makes sense that it would all come together. You're here this morning, maybe you're listening online, and you need to know that Jesus came not to shame you, but to set you free. That Jesus came not just to remind us of the mistakes of the past, but to say that those who let him be king experience his restoration. They can experience a wholeness and a healing that they never thought was possible. In a minute, I'm going to come back and I'm going to pray for us. And I want for some of you maybe who are carrying a particular suffering that is linked to your past to be ready to surrender that this morning. Before we do that, we're going to sing this song as a reminder of what it's like that Jesus comes as the real king who clarifies everything by taking on our suffering. Let's sing together.
painful days in your life will be when you realize that your parents and your grandparents failed you. Learning about Jesus would require that attention. To hear that those who should have helped us move closer to God's love were a distraction. They taught us to have idols that were not the things we should have prioritized. And one of the most powerful things, and when God heals us of that, we don't feel the need to blame them. As I was praying this week and just preparing, I thought of this story that is so pivotal in my life. And I, I felt the tension of maybe not sharing it, but you know, I just feel it would help you to feel what it means to just be honest with your story. I remember when I was younger and I was sensing that I would maybe be a pastor or be a leader in a church, I was at the school and they made me do this assessment. And it was an assessment that they ran for all the students. And it was like a survey of different things about relationships and upbringing. There was all these questions about like family and anger and this and that. And I'm like just checking it off, like thinking, who cares? Like these are so dumb, right? Check, 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 whatever. 
Within a few weeks, I get this letter. Like we had like these cubby holes, the school's a letter. And the letter said, like, based on your assessment, we'd love to talk to you about some deeper things. I was like, oh boy. And in my mind, I thought, I'm not going to that. Nobody gets to tell me what, what's going on in my heart. Only I know. You don't know what's in my heart. But I knew that it was an important moment for me to be honest about things that I'd never talked about. And checking off a box felt easy. And I'll never forget the lady who sat there with me asking me these questions about growing up and carrying anger and hatred and upset, all these things that I'm like, that's not going to matter. And I'm realizing that if God doesn't heal this, how could I ever be a leader helping others? And there was a moment in that time where I was trying to like work all this stuff out and I remember wanting to call my family to yell at them. And I sensed God say to me, you are not to tell them anything. And I could feel like how important it was that I blamed somebody for this. It was somebody else's fault. And God says, just leave this with me. I can heal this. The time would come when I would share this with my family, but not where I was at at that moment. And it was so life-giving to experience the freedom of God from the shame of other times in my life where I couldn't go back and fix them. And I couldn't change my parents and I couldn't change my brother and I couldn't change all those people. But God could change me. Anybody who learns about Jesus meets Jesus through the failures of the kings of Israel. And they also meet the Jesus who says, this is not a blaming game. This is a chance for you to be set free now. Repent and be baptized and they go see John the Baptist. The next section of Isaiah is the language that the Bible uses to talk about John the Baptist. Maybe for you this morning, this is a day that God is about to set you free. Maybe you've sensed that your suffering, your pain, some of the things you've been carrying are being clarified. They're being clarified because Sin maybe has had its way in your life. Or maybe it wasn't even your fault, but you're feeling the burden of it all. And you're carrying it alone, and you know your kids will carry it, and you know your grandchildren will carry that. But today, today, maybe quietly in your heart, just close your eyes. What would Jesus have you give him today? What thing is like bondage to your soul? What failure, rejection, mistake the devil uses on you? That Jesus would say, bring that here now. If your parents and grandparents, a generation of your kids is at stake. Jesus says, come. And watch me heal this. No need to blame anyone now. you feel the pressure to just run off? Let's get to our car. Let's, let's get out of here. We're not going to run. Jesus is speaking. I'm going to pray and if you feel comfortable, maybe you want to open up your hands as a sign of saying, the pain I've carried, I leave it here today. There's a new king that is coming to take reign in my life. And you and I are not that king. Jesus is that king. Just pray. Father, we thank you for being so faithful that while we were enjoying 
our own way of life while your people often ignored your promptings and continued to live in disobedience. You were planning a way of restoring things. We thank you for the prophet Isaiah. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the way we get to understand that Jesus, our King, doesn't ignore our pain. But he comes to forgive and to restore and to heal us. I pray that this morning we would be reminded again of how easy it is to have the right knowledge of you or to run away from the things that you are inviting us to surrender. I pray for people in this room or those watching online who have never tasted of your freedom that today, Jesus, they would begin to get a glimpse of being set free not only of things in their past but of blaming others, of trying to get others to to pay that as we pay attention to the suffering in our own lives, that today you, Holy Spirit, would clarify things and that you would remind us again of the power of Jesus, our Lord, the King of kings, because it's in his name that we pray. And everyone said, amen. Hey, we're really grateful for a chance to do this together. I want to remind you of something important. Next week, we celebrate child dedication. We'll be praying for families, and if you have kids or someone you know who maybe needs to see the beauty of that, we'll talk more about that. If you're in our home group, we look forward to hearing how God is stirring in your home groups. If you have kids, bring them home. We love you. See you next week.